This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa, the African Perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa and on channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. I'm Tracy Bumgard driving the show with Jualani Tulo, Amanda Machaka and Mosabudi Makura. Our top stories on Africa Digest this hour. South African opposition parties send the clearest message for the country's president to step down. Top Zambian opposition leader arrested and charged with treason. In economics, Kenya's economic growth forecast expected to dip to 5.5% this year, compared to an earlier forecast of 6%. And in sports, South Africa's ultra-running sensation looks to defend her Two Oceans Marathon title this coming weekend. But first, the news with Jualani. Thank you, Tracy. Good afternoon. South Africa's ANC Member of Parliament, Matole Motsecha, has called on the ruling party to hold an urgent special National Executive Committee meeting to respond to the plight of civil society. His call comes as South Africans embark on anti-Zuma protest marches. He says the protesters are directing their message to the ruling party. Motsecha also says the intervention of the ANC National Executive Committee is urgently needed now more than ever before. As matters stands now, there are matters of critical importance that civil society organizations, trade unions, have placed on the national agenda. The NEC of the ANC is the only competent authority that can address those issues, and uh, now is the time for it to intervene. The message is not to any individual. The message is to the ANC, because the people put the ANC in authority, and the president is a deployee of the ANC. Meanwhile, the South African Communist Party says it will be engaging with its alliance partners to get to the bottom of an alleged assassination attempt on Second Deputy General Secretary Sulima Paila. The party says evidence is contained in a video taken at the Chris Hani Memorial on Monday, which appears to show an armed man close to the podium when Mapaila was speaking. The party has now reported the incident to police. Mapaila has been outspoken in asking for President Zuma to step down. SACP General Secretary Blade we are also going to be raising this matter with the, with the alliance as a whole to actually say that we are concerned as the SACP and we hope that we will work together with the alliance to actually to identify this potential assassin and also to help us to determine the circumstances in which a gun could actually be carried and be pointed out in a meeting that essentially, as I say, was attended by actually alliance uh, activists. Nigeria's state security agency says it has thwarted plans by Boko Haram militants linked to Islamic State to attack the British and United States embassies in the capital Abuja. The Department of State Services says it has arrested five men in the Binu state. The group had reportedly perfected plans to attack the two embassies and other Western interests. The security service says a Boko Haram member arrested in Yobe confessed details of the plot. 
Still in Nigeria, the country's electoral agency has suspended more than 200 officers for accepting bribes to influence the outcome of the 2015 vote won by the opposition. The Independent National Electoral Commission says the officers were found guilty of corruption after an investigation by the anti-graft agency, the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission. The commission says they will be suspended from their duties and placed on half salary pending the final determination of the cases. The commission said the case of 70 other staff would be sent back to the EFCC for further investigation and possible prosecution. And finally, Lesotho's Minister of Home Affairs has appealed to South Africa to delay penalties for overstaying until all eligible Lesotho special permit holders are processed at the end of June. This as the main Maseru border between Lesotho and South Africa says it is ready to handle thousands of travellers expected to cross during the Easter holidays. Many Basotho working or studying in South Africa are illegal and more than 100,000 have applied for special permits. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo. Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest. Thank you, Jualani. Hundreds and thousands of people gathered in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, today to take part in the National Day of Action march demanding President Jacob Zuma to resign. The march was organized by seven opposition parties, including the Economic Freedom Fighters, the Democratic Alliance and the United Democratic Movement, among others. Several streets were closed as the marchers made their way from Church Square in the CBD to the seat of government. Similar marches were held last week Friday, organized by the civil society group Save SA. Earlier this week, Zuma criticized these marches, labeling them as racist marches. More from political analyst Professor Susan Boyson. It is a prolonged event. It is a series of marches that really started in December 2015 with a firing around former finance minister Nkwanta Nene. Over this period, we have seen quite a transformation in the character of these marches. If we start with the racial character of the marches, I remember whites gathered at that time, December 15, on Nelson Mandela Bridge, largely a white crowd. Last year, across several other projects, we saw EFF, for example, coming out in strong numbers. And I was very interested to note the very non-racial, multiracial, but really non-racial character and orientation of the bulk of the marches last week. I'm not for one moment saying there isn't racism in South Africa and the president didn't probably, after all, he has all the security, some structures in a country behind him to supply mm. him with images. And there is, in all likelihood, were some. I didn't see, I haven't seen any yet in live action or on in, on the social media, but uh, let's assume they were, and there, are, there is racism in South Africa, but I think it's very mischievous and escapist mm. of the president to call these marches racist. 
uh, it was around much bigger issues. And I, I see the president trying to use race, racism to denounce those marches. We have to see that in the context that he also said that Ben Gordon, with the help of the International Investors Committee, tried to overthrow the South African state. That was one of his other reactions around the most recent round of mobilization against him. He also um, said parties are busy with regime change. Well, it's a very derogatory, derogatory mm-hmm. term. And if the president persists on this path, it might very well end up in regime change, but that would be around election time, because presidents really, and those who gathered around him, really need to start seeing the massive damage they are doing to the ANC and the way they are endangering the ANC as a former liberation movement, that image that it has, and its future as political party and governing political party, how they're undermining that at this stage. Mm. Do you think that at this point, I mean, you've mentioned how this is uh, tarnishing um, everything that um, the ANC has worked for up until now. Do you think that the party can afford to continue brushing off these calls uh, um, for the president to step down? And uh, are we like likely to expect uh, to see, you know, many more demonstrations of this manner moving forward? You know, that is such an important thing that you raise because they're all indicators around us. They, they cannot afford to brush off these uh, the protests and mobilization against the president. If we just look at opinion polls that have been done in the last few weeks, they show that the president has dismal popularity ratings that just over 20% of South Africans across races. Certainly, it's slightly more proportionately white-colored and Indian than black African, if I may use that term, just to differentiate. But a large majority, well into the 60% of African ANC core constituency are saying the president should resign. No political party can dare go into elections. Yes, I'll get to that. President Suma is not going to be candidate again in an election. But no political party can go into an election and there's a run-up to elections already that we're in this phase um, with a president that has that type of a deficit of support. And we know that the ANC's own opinion, internal opinion polls from a few months ago showed that even if it's just a candidate who is vaguely associated with President Zuma's outgoing president, that kind of candidate is unlikely to help the ANC get a majority in a future election. Of course, the way those types of questions are asked, should you vote tomorrow, how would you vote? That's how they approach people, and that's a good way to do it. But it is, these are all serious signals to the president and to the ANC that action is necessary. And this is probably part of the tragic story of the ANC at this stage that we do not know and we do not see any signals, indicators yet that the president and those gathered around him who protect him are going to take this message to heart. That's Professor Susan Boyson, a political analyst, talking to Zikona Miso. The leader of Zambia's opposition, United Party for National Development, Hakainde Hichilema, has been arrested and charged with treason. He was picked up by the police after a night raid at his new Kasama residence. 
Treason in Zambia carries a death sentence. More on the arrest from Lekando Mufalali, chairperson of the Youth League and the UPND. It's quite a sad day for our country, Zambia, uh, because the largest part in this country, uh, the leader has been arrested after being surrounded for over 24 hours and uh, the breaking of uh, his property, his windows, I mean, his house and going through his bedroom, tear gassing and doing all sorts of barbaric things. It's quite indeed sad uh, for our democracy because uh, it has never happened in our multi-party system. From 1991, when we went into a multi-party system, we have never experienced a leader who wants to oppress, intimidate and suppress his opponents because they are challenging him in one way or the other. There has been a dispute uh, over the election and the petition uh, in this matter was uh, actually brought to the, the Constitutional Court, which court uh, actually failed to make any judgment. And that's why Mr. Ichilema and the UPND have insisted, insisted that uh, uh, Mr. Lungu never won an election. There was too much fraud in the election, and there was a lot of uh, irregularities, which are actually well known uh, on tape and so forth. And all these matters were supposed to be heard in the Constitutional Court. Unfortunately, the Constitutional Court failed the people failed to offer a judgment. And it's in this that uh, Mr. Hichilema and the UPND continue to say, unless the petition is heard, they will not recognize Mr. Lungu. And on top of that, a few days, uh, just two days ago, we were in uh, Barotseland where there was a ceremony and Mr. Lungu was badly imbalanced, uh, booed and so forth. He is taking that anger on a wrong person because he, Mr. Hichilema, never booed Mr. Lungu, but the people who are so dissatisfied with his operations, who feel he stole an election, booed at him, and actually never gave him a chance to address uh, the occasion as they walked away when Mr. Ichilema uh, protested or when Mr. Ichilema left the arena to go to his motorcade. Now, um, reports coming from um, that site uh, say that Mr. H.H. was arrested um, for failing to give way to President um, Lungu's motorcade in Mongu on Sunday. Do you think this warrants, you know, him being arrested? Just what's your take on the reason that was given for this arrest? Well, if you look at the protocols that the police observe uh, in this country when they want the president to pass to have a safe passage, they normally stop traffic at a particular time. In this case, the traffic, the police, never stopped anyone. When they realized that Mr. Ichilema had passed with his motorcade, and he enjoys quite a lot of popularity in that uh, region, it is upon that, uh, when they heard that he had passed, that the president, or Mr. Lungu and his uh, motorcade, went through and started overtaking all those who were going to the ceremony. Remember, it was not only Mr. Ichilema who was driving towards the ceremony. There are so many other vehicles. Now, they didn't stop those vehicles allow for the motorcade of Mr. Lungu to pass through, but they went ahead to start overtaking and just clearing the way. And at no point did the motorcade for Mr. Ichilema, who happened not to have been in that motorcade because we knew the sinister motives that they had, and we had intelligence information, we had already whisked him away, and was already in the palace at the time when they were trying to do all the signal, all these dirty things that they wanted to do, including that of shooting at the motorcade and so forth. Now, where is Mr. H.H. and um, is he still at the police station or has he been charged? Mr. H.H. has been charged with treason. Uh, he was moved from his house. He was taken to uh, Woodlands Police uh, in Woodlands. And thereafter, he was transferred to another dirty and filthy place called uh, Lilai 
a training school, but it has underground uh, uh, cells where they want to detain him there. And uh, we are aware that after that, they want also now to move him from those dirty, filthy uh, cells in uh, Lilai College, which are underground, which were used by colonial masters, now to the uh, maximum prison uh, in Kabwe. All that uh, is a clear indication of a desperate person, and we know how desperate uh, Mr. Lungu and the PF are. So what are supporters saying? What is the mood on the ground? Uh, what is the supporters are saying is that they won't take this lying idol. They have actually started demonstration, demonstrations, and these demonstrations, uh, they will definitely grow because Mr. Ichilema and the UPND enjoy a lot of copyright across the country. And uh, I think uh, Mr. Lungu and his PF are trying to test the waters. And out of this, I think they will learn one or two things. From the look of things, the supporters are so ready to take over um, uh, demonstrations, to take on uh, to the streets, to demonstrate for their leader to be relieved and to ensure that their leader does not go down without uh, a fight. That was Likando Mufalali, chairperson of the Youth League and the United Party for National Development, talking to Ntlantla Matlangu. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Zimbabwean youths have urged political parties to involve them in primary elections to choose candidates ahead of the 2018 polls. According to Youth Advocacy for Voter Empowerment and Progressive Organization, Zimbabwean youths are finding it hard to make it to the top during primaries owing to strict party policies. Most political parties in the country don't allow a candidate to run in the primaries unless they have a track record of being a position holder for at least five years. It says women are the worst affected by such regulations, relegating them to the periphery. Simon Wachemwa reports from Harare. Ahead of the 2018 polls, most likely going to pit President Robert Mugabe led ZANU-PF against MDC leader Mugen Changrai, youths are concerned they are being excluded in the selection process. Although most parties subject aspiring candidates to primaries, the process is laborious for youths who opt out leaving out senior party officials to run the race. According to Yavepo, a youth advocacy organization in Zimbabwe, youths who constitute at least 53% of the electorate repeatedly fail to get it to parliament and council because parties have strenuous processes. 
Already the main opposition MDC has produced a blueprint outlining who could take part in elections against ZANU-PF, a quota system that embraces 20% of the youths in the election has been availed by the main opposition party but remains to be seen if this will be implemented. During a media briefing in the capital Harare on Wednesday, Yavepo chairperson Zakaria Mushawatu said, Zero chances of winning a single seat in parliament. Well, when youths are shut out from these big parties, they're left with no other option but to contest you know, for, for some of these fly-by-night uh, political parties. I don't want to mention names. I'm sure you've seen you know some of these parties that are, are just there you know and uh, someone just gets you know a few dollars they think they can start a political party but they don't actually have a real chance of of, of uh, grabbing seats in parliament and as yeah since we are there to actually promote uh, uh, participation of youth in parliament since we're actually there to ensure that a bigger number of youth get in parliament we actually uh, discourage youth from actually going to these small political parties because then they have uh, very uh, little chances of actually winning seats in parliament but then also we are also actually encouraging, encouraging the, the, the big political parties to uh, uh, do away with some of these stringent rules so that the youth can actually uh, contest in primary elections and so that they can actually get in, uh, in, in parliament. The higher you go, the cooler it becomes. That's the same concept being used by political parties as the higher you go, less chances of interacting with youth in terms of hierarchy. Zakaria Mshawa to edit. Uh, well, in uh, MDCT or, or ZANU-PF and most uh, big parties, what happens is that the higher up you go in terms of the structures, the less youth you, you find. So when you have a, a party that is said to have released uh, you know, uh, 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 internal rules that say that uh, those that are at a lower level cannot, uh, cannot contest those that are at a higher level, what this means is that youth are the um, people that are most going to be affected by such rules. We are utterly shocked and completely taken aback that a party like MDCT, which claims to be a champion of democracy, is reportedly mulling such a move. We genuinely wish and sincerely hope that the reports, that the reports are false, but if they are uh, factually accurate and irrefutably true, Yavebo beseeches MDCT to reconsider its plans which are guaranteed to work against youth, many, many of whom are generally in lower structures than uh, older generations. ZANPF should, like MDCT, urgently introduce efficaciously implement and rigorously perpetuate a youth quota system in order to ensure that uh, a significant number of youths in that party contests elections under its name. Any internal party system that excludes youths from meaningful participation in national elections is not only deeply flawed but also dangerously retrogressive, Zakaria said. All parties currently grappling with the task of creating templates for primary elections are encouraged to, one, do away with the five-year rule. Two, introduce spending limits. Uh, in elections, uh, you know, it's, it's not good when money becomes the major determining factor in who gets to win uh, or, or lose an election. Uh, youths uh, grew up in a time where, you know, when our economy was, you know, teetering and, uh, you know, faltering and on the precipice of, of, of total collapse. As youths, we are generally people that are, have less money than older generations. So, uh, as young people, we are advocating for spending limits in the templates or for primary elections and what we simply mean is that we want uh, political parties to have a cap on the money that a candidate is allowed to spend so that money does not uh, become the major determining factor on who gets to win uh, a primary election. Uh, three, we want uh, parties to make a deliberate effort to ensure youth contest primary elections in the stronghold of their parties. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. 
The South African government has assured international investors that the renewed drive for accelerated radical economic transformation will not serve as a deterrent to foreign direct investment. This comes as the Emir of the State of Qatar, Sheikh Tamim bin Altani, concludes his two-day state visit to South Africa. The Emir is on an mission to strengthen bilateral trade and investment between Doha and Pretoria. Qatar is South Africa's seventh largest trade partner in the Middle East region. Tsepo Ikaning reports. A royal welcome for Sheikh Tamim Bill Al-Tami, who's on his first visit to South Africa. President Zuma held bilateral talks with the Emir at the Union buildings last night. Bilateral trade between South Africa and Qatar is valued at just over 7 billion rand. Petrochemical Jan Sassol is the only South African company which has entrenched its investment presence in the Qatari energy market. The two leaders reviewed progress on the implementation of short-term trade investment projects in the fields of agriculture, tourism, defense and oceans economy. The plunge of the oil prices has forced the rich Gulf state to diversify its economy. The South African government is positioning itself as the preferred African investment destination for Qatar's multi-billion rent trade deals. Addressing the Qatar-South Africa Business Forum, Small Business Development Minister Lindiwe Zulu moved to calm fears over concerns that the planned radical economic transformation will erode investor confidence. May I take this opportunity to also say that many a times when we talk about radical economic transformation, others seem to think, what is the explanation of this? And this should not scare any of our investors. It should not scare anybody and think that when you are investing in South Africa, your investment is not safe. Your investment in South Africa will always be safe because in South Africa we've got very strong institutions. We make sure that anybody who comes to South Africa, that investment is um, protected. Qatari Economic Development Minister Sheikh Ahmed bin Jassim Al-Tari has urged South African companies to use the oil-rich Gulf State's strategic location as a gateway to the Middle East, Asia and European markets. Qatar can also be a, get, a getaway for South African product in the GCC common market as well as Grand Arab Free Trade Area. On the other hand, Qatar investor can invest more in South Africa competitive sectors, especially uh, tourism, agriculture, and other sectors. As we can see, the opportunity for the private sector for both countries are promising. And so we encourage the private sector to capitalize on the existing trade agreements. President of the Black Business Council, Dr. Dani Sabaloi, has welcomed growing trade and investment ties between South Africa and Qatar. We have such a host of resources that could turn this country around. I think if we, we begin to interact with countries like them, we will learn quite quickly as to how, how possible it is for us to just um, uh, succeed and, and grow. And I think it's possible. We have the resources. About 6,000 South Africans expatriates work in various sectors in Qatar. Tsepo in Pretoria. 
Statistics South Africa says retail sales contracted for the second month in a row. Headline retail sales fell by 1.7% year-on-year in February from 2.3% decline recorded in January. According to StatsSA, the major contributors came from negative growth from textile, clothing and footwear, as well as household furniture. Tsepo Mongwai reports. The current financial difficulties facing the country have forced most consumers to tighten their belts. Stats essays Keshni Pillay says the latest number is an indication of tough economic conditions. That consumers are under pressure and it seems like the new credit act has has had a negative effect on retailers, especially those who rely on credit sales like your retailers in textiles, clothing, footwear and leather goods and household furniture, appliances and equipment because these did have the largest year-on-year decreases in February 2017. But economists were expecting a much favorable consumer environment this year in anticipation of lower inflation coupled with a possible reduction in interest rates. But so far, most consumers are still not able to get their finances in order. Johannes Koza is an economist with NetBank. Um, the decline continues to reflect the weakness in the consumer spending space. I mean, uh, earlier last year and uh, in the beginning of this year, we're expecting sales to improve, given that we're expecting an improvement in the inflation outlook. And um, also later in the year, we're expecting the Reserve Bank to reduce interest rates. But suddenly things have deteriorated uh, where we expect the downward uh, pressure on the rent going to uh, put pressure on inflation. According to Stats SA, there are fewer retail sectors performing better. Specialized food, beverages and tobacco sales showed positive growth. Supermarket sales also added positive contribution in February. The sluggish consumer spending spells bad news for economic growth. The sector accounts for more than 50% of the GDP. I am Tsepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. With the headline news, here's Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Tracy. Making headlines, the South African Communist Party says it will be engaging with its alliance partners to get to the bottom of an alleged assassination attempt on Second Deputy General Secretary Sodima Paila. Nigeria's state security agency says it has thwarted plans by Boko Haram militants linked to Islamic State to attack the British and United States embassies in the capital, Abuja. And finally, Lesotho's Minister of Home Affairs has appealed to South Africa to delay penalties for overstaying until all eligible Lesotho special permit holders are processed at the end of June. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. 
Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest. This Friday marks three years since the abduction of the Chibok girls by a militant group Boko Haram in Nigeria. 276 schoolgirls were abducted by Boko Haram from Chibok in 2014. About 20 were released last October, while over 150 others are still in captivity. Several activities organized by the Bring Back Our Girls campaigners and designed to raise fresh awareness on the need for the girls to return have been taking place this week. More from the parent of one of the missing girls, Esther Yakubu. Since the three years of the adoption of the Chibok adoption, it has not been easy for us at all. Especially for me, it's been very terrible for me. And living without my baby is just like living in the hell. I did not think that our would be so long for three years without being back. But it has been so for us. And it is not easy for us at all, especially for me. It's not easy for me at all. I have not had such experience in life. I don't think that I would be, even be alive up to today. Mm. But I thank God for my life. Ma Esther, um, as a parent, you know, um, who is going through um, the story that has made, you know, so many headlines globally, what has been your take on how the government of Nigeria has been handling the disappearance of your loved ones? The way the Nigerian government are handling the disappearance of our girls is not fair at all. For three years, they say they have been working. They are working for it. They are doing negotiation. But up to today, the girls are still missing. After the release of the 21 girls, they said they will continue with the negotiation until all the other girls have been released. But up to today, we are approaching the three years anniversary of the, without the girls, which is not fair to stay quiet after they are losing 219 girls and they just feel at all as nothing is happening. It's not fair at all. Have you had an opportunity um, as a parent to speak to some of the girls who have been released and just to get an indication of what it is that happened on that day? Because I know that you must have a lot of questions as a parent who still has a girl that is missing. In release of the 21 girls, I tried my all possible best to see the girls, but unfortunately I did not. When they travel home for Christmas, I tried my best to see them, but I did not have the opportunity to see them. But all my wishes, I thought, they said they, were, they are doing, they are continuing with the negotiation. I thought that the girls will be back by now. But unfortunately, the girls are nowhere to be found. And no any vital information. No any information about the negotiation at all from the government. 
Not in at all. Now, um, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you didn't think that you would still be alive three years later, you know, uh, still dealing with the same ordeal. What is it that keeps you going, Mama Esther? I've never experienced anything about heart attacks. I've never experienced anything about BV. I've never experienced anything about illness. I'm a businesswoman that walks from one state to another, hoping to see that my children educate them to the level that I will appreciate it. But unfortunately, I can't even sleep at night because of the blood pressure. I can't even sleep. Anytime I talk about my baby, I have that heart attack. The man has to be attacking me. It's not because of the grace of God. I don't know that I will be alive, really, for three years without seeing my baby. Oh, I don't think that. I cannot even imagine it. It's only because of the grace of God. That's why I'm alive. And if you had an opportunity to make a plea, you know, to those people who are responsible for having abducted not only your child, but um, a lot of the other girls that are still missing at this time, what would you say to them? If I will have the opportunity to talk to the captives about our girls, they should not in mind that God is the limit. Heaven is the limit. If they have something to do with the Nigerian government, fighting the government, they should just go straight to the government. Our guests are not children of the government. The government have never assisted us with 10 naira for the sponsorship of our guests in school. We pay their school fees, we pay their exam fee. But they just use our guests, I don't even know how to say it, for three years, and they say they are fighting with the government. They have the big men, the Senate, that are just quiet there. They have their kids, they have the president, they have the vice president, they have all the big men. But why us from that village? Our girls will be used for that. All what I would say to them, if they are there, they should please release our girls. The parents are dying. We have lost a lot of parents. And up to now, some are even sick on their sick bed. They can't even stand up. They can't even walk. They can't even eat. Our girls are still missing. And the government is saying nothing about it. It's not fair. But no matter what everybody is doing on earth, they should know that there is a day for the judgment. And every need more bar, every time for confess for all they did, they did. These girls are innocent. They are only there to seek for education, that's all. But they are kidnapped for three years, which is not fair. That was the parent of one of the missing Chibok girls, Esther Yakubu, speaking to Zikona Miso. The Global Bleeding Disorder Community will next week, Monday, commemorate World Hemophilia Day, an annual campaign aimed at raising awareness and improving understanding of hemophilia. Hemophilia is a group of hereditary genetic disorders that prevent the body's ability to control blood clotting, which is used to stop bleeding when a blood vessel is broken. In our weekly look at health issues, we focus attention on this bleeding disorder with Anne-Louise Cruikshank, a hemophilia nurse coordinator for the South African Hemophilia Foundation in the Western Cape Province. Hemophilia is an inherited bleeding disorder. So our blood contains many proteins, sometimes referred to clotting factors. Basically, we need the factors to make us clot and stop bleeding. People who have a low level of the clotting factor basically have a bleeding disorder and they would bleed for longer periods than other people. They don't bleed faster, they'll just bleed longer. They'll just continue to bleed until they get the missing clotting factor. So we have hemophilia A, there are two types, hemophilia A, which is missing clotting factor number 8, and there's hemophilia B, which those patients are missing clotting factor number 9. It's about 1 in 10,000 of the general population, so it's fairly rare. 
you know, a doctor may go through his whole medical school career without even seeing a hemophiliac. What causes the condition and is there a group of people who are more at risk than others? Family history is very important in hemophilia because the hemophilia gene is carried on the X chromosome. So the mothers are an X and an X and the man is an X and a Y and she carries the gene on the X. So if she gives that X to her son, he will be affected. But if she gives the affected gene to her daughter, the daughter will be a carrier. So that is how it's passed on through the generations. But then obviously when the men who have hemophilia, they've now got that X, they've only got one X and that's got the hemophilia gene. Obviously to make a girl, they need to donate their X chromosome with their partner's X chromosome makes a girl. So all his daughters will be what we call obligatory carriers because we know he's a hemophiliac, so he has to give that gene to his daughter, and they'll have the same kind of hemophilia. So if in that family the father is a severe hemophiliac, if he has a daughter and she then has a baby boy, he will be affected with the same kind of hemophilia. So they will also be severe. So it will run true in families. It can either be a severe condition, which is less than 1% clotting factor. It can be a moderate condition, which is 1% to 5% clotting factor. They have only that amount. Was normal is 50 to 100 percent, and the moderates are between 5 and 40 percent. How do we know if one has hemophilia? Are there any early signs and symptoms that we need to be aware of? Yes, I think very importantly, you do need to look after them. Obviously, if there's a family history. There's also something called a spontaneous mutation, which means there might be no family history, and in that family, you would certainly have to look out for those symptoms. What will happen is it's normally bleeding into, when the children are very small, they'll breathe fairly easily, so you'll see bruise marks. They may put something in their mouth and bleed from their mouths. They may bleed after circumcision. They may bleed after one of their simple vaccines. You know, one of the muscles might just swell up a bit and they will see that mark. And then as they get older, like six, seven, eight months, and they start crawling and moving around, they may have bleeds into their joints, so either an elbow, a knee, or an ankle is a common area for them to bleed, and it will just swell up, and basically they bleed internally. So you'll never see them gushing huge amounts of blood. It'll be internal bleeding that they will have to look out for. Let's talk about treatment. What are the deciding factors for hemophilia treatment? For treatment, basically the patients need to be enrolled in a hemophilia comprehensive care center, so they need to go somewhere where people know about the condition because they'll be well cared for then. They will do a blood test on the child or the baby to determine what the hemophilia is, if it's factor 8 or factor 9, and then that treatment will be given to them, which is a clotting factor made from donations of blood, from our blood. So if people donate blood in the community, we're really grateful for that because the red cells will go to the patients in the hospital, the platelets will go to people in hospital, which is another form of um, clotting concentrate, and then also then the plasma proteins. The plasma is rich in all of the clotting factors, so we will make the clotting factor for the patients out of that plasma. Tell us about the complications following treatment, if any, and how can these complicated cases be handled? Complications of hemophilia, if it's well managed, there are not many complications. But what we really worry about in South Africa is that children may grow up crippled because they may have frequent bleeds into their joints. So what we try to do now is just give them some factor more regularly to prevent these bleeds from happening in their joints. And then they should be able to live normal, full lives, go to a normal school, get an education, and do what everybody else does in the community. And also, we are also very grateful for our 
are very good treatments that we have that is virally inactivated. So it's very safe for the patients to have. As I say, there are life-threatening bleeds as well. Obviously, if somebody gets knocked on the head or has a very bad gastric bleed or bleed from the abdomen, then that could be a serious complication. And then they would have to go to hemophilia treatment center and be managed. But the most important thing about hemophilia is always being able to have the plucking factor close by. It's almost like Insulin is for a diabetic. Factor 8 and 9 is like that for a patient with either hemophilia A or hemophilia B. Now, this sounds like a condition that a lot of us are not aware of. So apart from commemorating days like World Hemophilia Day, how else can more awareness be created around the condition in your view? I think the most important thing is also just to maybe go to our website and have a look at it. There's something called the Red Tie Challenge, which we're rolling out this month. There are already some... People have already wonderfully responded with photos on their Facebook page, Instagram and Twitter for hemophilia just to raise the awareness. So I think this was started by the National Hemophilia Foundation in the USA and many countries are taking the challenge where basically the aim is to engage in conversation about hemophilia and inherited bleeding disorders. And this year also particularly we want to also raise the awareness about women that bleed too. So it's not only people with hemophilia, women can bleed too and there are some other bleeding conditions that affect women like Van Willebrand's disease and some of the rarer clotting factor deficiencies. So factor 8 and 9 will affect generally only men, but all the other clotting factor deficiencies will affect women as well. So they also need to know that, you know, if they do have bleeding problems and tendencies, they do need to come and seek advice and help because it may be a bleeding condition. That's Anne-Louise Cruikshank, a hemophilia nurse coordinator for the South African Hemophilia Foundation in the Western Cape Province, speaking to Elizabeth Ledicha. Now with your business news, here is Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Tracy. Good afternoon. Finance Minister Malusi Kikaba says South African investors want the ANC to explain in detail what the radical economic transformation that government has been talking about means. He was addressing local investors in Midrand, north of Johannesburg. Kigaba says the Treasury will unveil plans to deal with downgrades from credit rating agencies Standard & Poor's and Fish after a special cabinet meeting later this Wednesday. Kigaba has stressed there will be no shift in economic policy and that government will do its best to avoid a further downgrades. I need to state that we fully appreciate the gravity of the downgrades, their significance and what they mean, not only to the economy and business, but what they mean to the rest of South Africans. They are a setback and we will be working hard in the coming weeks and months to avoid further downgrades and in the medium term to restore our investment grade rating. South Africa's retail sales contracted for the second month in a row. Headline retail sales fell by 1.7% year-on-year in February from a 2.3% decline in January. According to Stats SA, textile and household furniture recorded big contractions. Stats SA's Kashnipile says the number is an indication of tough economic conditions. 
that consumers are under pressure and it seems like the new credit act has added has had a negative effect on retailers especially those who rely on credit sales like your retailers in textiles clothing footwear and leather goods and household furniture appliances and equipment because these did have the largest year-on-year decreases in february 2017. Kenya's economic growth forecast is expected to dip to 5.5% this year compared to an earlier forecast of 6% and an estimated 5.9% GDP growth last year. That's according to an economic update released by the World Bank earlier this Wednesday. In its report, the international lender cites the ongoing drought, a slowdown in credit and rising global oil prices as some of the headwinds likely to affect growth. The World Bank has ranked Kenya as one of the fastest-growing economies in sub-Saharan Africa. Sarah Kimani reports. The failure of last year's October to December short rains has left at least 3 million Kenyans in need of food aid, following field harvest and decimated livestock herds. 25% of Kenya's economy is agriculture dependent. Advanced weather could, according to the report, affect agricultural growth and have a spillover effect on other sectors of the economy. Kenya goes to the polls in August this year, and the report points out that uncertainties around the outcome may dampen investor confidence. The economy is also likely to feel the effects of a slowdown in credit in the private sector, partly due to a new law that puts caps on interest rates. The Democratic Republic of Congo hopes to import electricity from South Africa, a measure aimed at reducing a gaping power deficit that has dented copper mining output. The announcement comes as reports mount that Pretoria wants Russia to build four nuclear power stations. Congo is plagued by massive energy shortfalls. The DRC government says it will negotiate imports from ESCOM later this week. The Congo is meant to construct a new 4,800 megawatt stem on the Congo River by 2020, with half earmarked for South Africa. However, progress has stalled. And British public relations firm Bell Pottinger has cut ties with the Gupta family's Ogbe investments in South Africa. That's according to respected financial newspaper in Britain, the Financial Times. Opposition parties and elements of civil society have accused the Guptas of having captured the South African state, especially Treasury, after President Jacob Zuma fired Praveen Gordon as finance minister. Many commentators had accused Bell Potting of fanning racial tensions in South Africa. But the Financial Times reports that the company says it has, it has become the target of what it calls a politically driven smear campaign and cannot continue offering services to the Guptas. In your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 13.67 South African rent, 10.56 Botswana Pula and 9.42 Zambian Kwacha. In commodities, gold is at $1,276 and platinum at $961 per ounce. The price of print crude oil is at $56.10 a barrel. That's the latest economics news. Thank you, Amanda. Mwasibudi Mukura has your latest sport news.
Good evening, sports fans. I am Musibu Dimakura with your latest sports news at the Sawam. German police have put in place extra security measures ahead of Real Madrid's Champions League quarterfinal at Bayern Munich set for tonight. The extra security measures come one day after Borussia Dortmund's team bus was targeted by a bomb attack travelling to its home stadium. Now, a note left at the scene suggested a possible Islamic extremist motive for the attack and one suspect has since been detained. Now, authorities in Munich have changed their plans ahead of Wednesday's match at the Alanis Arena with Real Madrid's team bus now to be given a police escort during its pre-match journey. An additional 80 security personnel have been also added to duty at the stadium. UEFA said a security review is being conducted by police, security services, stadium management and the clubs involved in Germany as well as Spain. Meanwhile, there are two other matches which will take place tonight across Europe. Atletico Madrid will host English champions Leicester City, whereas the Borussia Dortmund Monaco match will also take place tonight. On to rugby news, despite all the emotion of the impending axing of two Vodacom Super Rugby franchises, the reality is that South Africa simply cannot afford to sustain six franchise teams in the competition. This is according to Saru Chief Executive Officer Jury Ru, who said the decisions that have been made in selecting the two franchises to exit the competition need to be made rationally and not with or rather on emotion. Saru's franchise committee, which includes all six CEOs of the Super Rugby franchises, met on Tuesday to thrash out the criteria from which the decision will be made. And while there is widespread unhappiness in certain parts of the country regarding the decisions taken, Ru did say that the economic reality is that South Africa cannot sustain six franchises. And on to athletics news, South Africa's ultra-running sensation Caroline Watsman will be looking to defend her Two Oceans marathon title this coming weekend in Cape Town. Now the defending champion will line up at the start of the world's most beautiful marathon against a strong field looking to yet again sail through the finishing line. But Watsman says she isn't keen on defending her title. Yeah, and um, the preparations have gone fairly well. I'm actually not going to be trying to defend my title, as funny as what that may, may sound. Um, I'm going to be using it as a training run. Unfortunately, Two Oceans is very close to Comrades this year. And with Comrades being my main focus, uh, my coach has advised me to rather not race Two Oceans flat out, but just enjoy it as a training run. And finally, in wheelchair tennis news, world number four, Marjolein Bays from the Netherlands has defeated South Africa's number one player, Hotazo Munjani, 6-2-6-1 to advance to the SA Open Finals at the Ellis Park Tennis Stadium in Johannesburg earlier today. It was a match dominated by the Dutch woman. Wheelchair Tennis South Africa's public relations manager, Anthony Muratani, has the details. Keiji Munjani, who is the country's top leading women's player, lost in the semi-finals against... Uh, Maylin Bates from the Netherlands. Maylin is a very um, uh, a very strong player, and it was a very competitive match. But she just couldn't match uh, Maylin's level, and she lost to Maylin Bates six two six one. And uh, on the other side, on the other women's uh, semi final, we have uh, uh, the world number three, who is the top seed at this tournament, Gerda de Hood from the Netherlands, who defeated um, a compatriot Anik van Kurt of the Netherlands seven five six one. So in the women's final, we're going to have it's going to be a, a, a Dutch 
and all that final. Well, those are your sports news app for Sawa. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Recapping the top stories this hour, South African opposition parties send the clearest message for the country's president to step down. Top Zambian opposition leader arrested and charged with treason. That wraps up Africa Digest today from myself, Tracy Bumgard, producer Leanda Mayome, technical producer Sihle Ndlovu, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you for listening. For comments on the show, send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS to 27796957930 or you can tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Taking us to the top of the hour is Amagama Banati.